The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. I am joined by one of Ireland's most celebrated film and television directors behind Room, Garage, Adam and Paul, normal people, of course. I mean, ultimately, he is responsible for Paul Mescal in total. And like, if the new Gladiator isn't good, it's basically his fault. He's involved with the uh, Dublin International Film Festival, which is on until March 2nd. He is, of course, Lenny Abramson. Lenny, how are you? Very well, Anton. Thanks for having me. You are responsible for Paul Mescal. Oh, I couldn't. No, Paul Mescal. Totally. Paul Mescal's parents are responsible for Paul Mescal. Yeah, but they, I mean, you, you put the final touches that made him the man listen, that he is today. He, 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 you know, without the talents, it doesn't matter what you do. I think, I mean, I was lucky to, to find him and Daisy as well. But yeah, I suppose, you know, Normal People was the launch pad and we're all very proud. You know, every time I see him doing something fabulous. It, it's a really lovely feeling. Can you tell, because one of the things that I, I found interesting when I, I started in getting uh, radio work was you would have acts come in and they would sing live in the studio and you would go, my God, you're talented. And then they disappear off the face of the earth and never do another thing. And you think there is such a layer of ability and it just doesn't happen for them. Yeah. Can you see with actors, this is going to happen for you or are there a lot of people who are geniuses who just... I think it's inevitably true that there are a lot of people who are amazing who don't get discovered. There have to be, right? And I have definitely worked with people where I've thought that person is extremely talented and whether it's a temperamental thing or just bad luck or whatever. But you can usually tell, I can usually tell whether somebody has that kind of... I don't know, that very special ability that's going to translate. Because, you know, it's, it's interesting you make the music analogy because if you're in a room with somebody who can really sing, even at a decent level, it's super impressive. And, you know, everybody tells you about their friend who's amazing on the guitar or, you know, or it's really funny. And you go, yeah, but there's a degree of extra stuff that actually translates to a cold audience that don't know anything about you, aren't well disposed necessarily to like you to start with. And and that level of kind of amazingness is very rare. But, but I think you do know it when you see it. And are we going through something of a golden era in terms of the Irish contribution to cinema? I mean, when you look at Barry Keoghan, we have Killian Murphy up for the Oscars with Paul Mescal. Yeah. Like, we seem to have a breath of internationally now renowned acting talent that it's hard to think of another time where we were so endowed. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's hard to compare the the eras because there's been a lot of support for Irish filmmaking over the last 20 or so years, you know, since the reinstatement of the film board and all that. And there's been investment and that's changed the situation. And so it's hard to know, is it like the Irish soccer team where, you know, once every three or four generations, you'll be, you'll get like five or six great players and then you'll have to dip again. Or is it more sustainable? It feels to me like it is more sustainable that there is, for whatever reason, a combination of just, you know, interest in performance, just a very natural naturally deep talent pool here like it's kind of remarkable I think when I looked at it was that was it the last was I can't remember which Oscars it was these ones or the Golden Globes whatever half of the acting category talent were was Irish you know it's bizarre it's really bizarre oh yeah I mean like per capita basis yeah it doesn't it makes no sense sense. no Uh, but but I think just generally speaking there's been a kind of it's been a lovely phase for on-screen storytelling here, both acting and filmmaking producers, people like Element and, you know, just this sort of a lovely coming together and long may it continue. Does it help the entire industry 
or is it just nice for the actor themselves? They go off and they get plaudits all the way around the world. And that's a really good question because it it it, it is good for the whole industry. Like you know, but actually on its own, it won't sustain. Like there's a kind of ecosystem, which is the word everybody uses about these things. But you know, you need smaller films being made. You need new talent being developed, and that's not that's also because there's a cultural value to that, not just because it feeds the machine. You know, but I think if all of those things are in place, then big successes either produced, you know, something like On Colleen Kuhn or or Poor Things, which is an Irish-produced film. Um, those things really do shore up the kind of international attention and, and the idea of this as a sort of a hub for, for creative industries. But you do need the smaller projects to be supported and you really need to look, allow new talent to to. To, to you know have its voice heard I think that's that's what's really vital and I think one of the things that I've been keen on and talking occasionally to Screen Ireland is let's make sure we continue to support lots of smaller films as well as that has to be hard ones. though because it's one of the things that I, I, I was I've taken to watching a lot of sort of interviews with directors recently and you sort of forget you think about the creativity side of it but there's a lot of the accountancy side of it. There's sure. a big budget and a lot of responsibility oh, for even yeah. small films. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, uh, like one of the things about a small film is that it has to be really good. I mean, there's nothing else. Like you don't have the kind of glitz and scale of promotion and you can't manufacture a kind of, you know, a, a, a place in the in the kind of, in the conversation. And, and also, yeah, comparatively, these are, even for a small, small film, these are large amounts of money. But you definitely, and you, I think the, the thing, you have to be prepared as a, as a kind of mature culture to support a lot of stuff, knowing that a lot of it won't work because otherwise, you know, the next filmmaker is not going to be there or the next producer isn't going to be there. The next actor isn't going to get a chance to work on something smaller and, you know, all of those things. What are you currently working on? I am currently writing. Um, so I'm working on a, um, a project which is a film project set in the late 70s, kind of autobiographical, well, it's about sort of connected to my own family. So it's a, fa- a, a sort of a complicated family story that takes place over about a year in the late 70s. So that's, I'm, that's my main focus. And then developing some television, um, looking, there's a book I think we're going to try and adapt. And, um, and then I read stuff all the time as well. But the main focus is the, is the writing. I've always wondered, is that difficult? Because there is a great advantage to the kind of a job that you have to show up to on a Monday morning. Because here's your tasks, go do it and you can go home at five. When the world is your oyster, it's terrible. What do you do? I mean, I don't trust anybody who says they like writing, although I do know some really good writers who claim to like doing it. But for me, saying that I'm writing just basically means the house is really tidy. The dogs are walked about 17 times a day. Um, I'm in a state of terrible kind of near you know, moral collapse most of the time thinking I've failed. And, but, but, but what I've learned is, first of all, you can build your own structure. I, I'm really lucky to work with Ed Guiney and the gang in Element. And there is a... Who's having a great year, having, it has well, to I mean, be 11 said. 11 Oscar nominations for poor things. Incredible. But Ed will, like, I feel accountable when I say I'm going to deliver something on a certain date. And even if I don't quite make that date, um, I know I, I can feel the the kind of need to do it. So you have to keep yourself honest. I think working with other people is is key to that because you have that, res- you feel that responsibility, you know. Remind me, was it Room that got you in bed with Ed originally? No, I, I was actually, I worked with Ed all the way. So we were in, we were friends in school. I mean, we were in different schools, but we were friends since we were 15. Really? Yeah, so we, my very first short film 
was Ed produced when we were like just just in or out of college. We we set up a filmmaking society in college together, back in the like at the very beginning of the nineties or the late eighties, um, and then Ed, then I went off and did a few other different things. I sort of wasn't sure what I was doing. Ed like progressed brilliantly in a producing career, and then I worked with a wonderful guy called Johnny Spears, who's a commercials producer, who was the producer on Adam and Paul, and Ed was the exec on that. And then, oh, I didn't realize Ed was involved in Adam. Yeah, Paul. so then we we um, I've done everything since then has been has been and with Ed. Did you influence each other into the industry when you were fifteen, or were you already in? Because you can't have been involved when you were fifteen. Oh no, we just used to talk about films and and how much we loved them. And then it's a very it's a it's a great illustration of the producer director difference because I went to college and fantasized about the idea of making films, but it felt like a very you know. Uh, impossible sort of dream, you know, like saying you want to be an astronaut or something. And Ed rang and said, here, you know the way we really love films. I was just thinking, why don't we set something up in college, set up a society, get some equipment, start making them. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, to the extent that I don't know what I would have, whether I would have ever done anything, you know, would I have done anything about this kind of burning um, interest and ambition had Ed not actually, like, done the sort of proper the mechanics and logistics and that's always like he's been so central in everything that I've done because he's always he's the one who kind of cajoles and pushes and suggests and holds me to account and gives great advice and all that stuff now repulse me if it is an inappropriately prying question but one of the things that I've always been interested about is when you look at artistic partnerships like that let us take something like a Scorsese and a DiCaprio I always think does I think of myself more as the DiCaprio in that relationship (laughs) just to say (laughs) does DiCaprio look at Scorsese when he does a film without him and think you're cheating on me the same thing you look at Ed and think why why not me for that one okay so the honest answer is it always kills you a bit if somebody else has a huge success and you're not involved. <laughs> um, but the difference between directors and producers is that a producer can produce, you know, a few films in a year if, if they have the right structures around them. Chances are for a director, if you were making a film every 18 months or so, that would be very, that would be a fast turnover. So you're never going to just, a producer is never going to work with just a, a single director, nor is a director always going to work with the same actor because they're going to do different things. But I think if, if what would, what would be terrible, you know, would be if I had an idea and, and I went to Ed and he said, I just, I'm not interested. I don't like it. But so far that hasn't happened. <laughs> Even hearing you say it as a hypothetical sounds <laughs> a single awful. Tier. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the actual mechanics of uh, directing, because as I said, I've been watching a lot of directors be um, interviewed and the manner in which they work with actors, I'm intrigued by. I saw a thing about Kubrick where somebody said that he got this reputation for doing 35 takes mm-hmm. on everything because he was a perfectionist. In actual fact, he was hacked off that nobody had properly learned their lines Mm -hmm. and you make them do it 30 times to learn the lines. How do you learn those subtle bits of diplomacy and persuasion or do you just do your own thing and tough luck like it or not? No, you do definitely get better at that kind of, at that odd dimension of the job which is a kind of, it's about personality and it's about getting people to want to do the thing that you want to do, that's the ideal. You know, the ideal is that people kind of invest in your picture of the thing. And 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 that's for me the way the way I've tended to work is is like I'm not shouty um and I'm not um dictatorial, but but I want but I but what I try to do is to sort of get people excited in the right way and and then you have to also work with the actor that's 
the actor that's in front of you, you know, there is no one way to work. Like some actors need a different kind of attention or a more psychological approach to character. Other actors need a kind of a more, like there's a more like a physical, like an outside in approach. And uh, and for me, part of the joy of that, I really like working with actors. And that isn't always, I know there are directors who wish they could just dial it in, you know, on a machine somehow. But I like the the uncertainty. Well, was the, it Beckett's, I think, I think it was Beckett who said the thing about that he wanted to put the actors in the Abbey in barrels because their animation kept getting in the way of his lines. <laughs> <laughs> I must try that. <laughs> but you will adapt according to well, or, the Well, or just trying to find the thing that the actor is bringing that you hadn't thought about and that is more, if you're lucky, more interesting than the thing that you were going to do. So what I've learned over the years, big part of of my of the change in how I direct is I think at the beginning I used to walk onto set and feel I absolutely have to know everything. I have to have every answer to every possible question that somebody's going to ask me and I have to be able to describe the scene right down to the smallest gesture from the outside. And then I realised that in a way you're just crushing any spontaneity if you do that. So I've learned kind of, even though I have a very strong picture in my head of what I want to come out of it, I've learned to just be quieter and let people do things and watch them and nudge and 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 spot the thing that's more interesting than the thing that any of us had in our head when we went in. And the best days I've ever had on set are the days where a scene turns into something that you hadn't really anticipated and it gets a bit rewritten and 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 everybody walks out feeling that they sort of did like proper work that day rather than just, you know, um follow the script. Talk to me about Lovies, because, I, again, I watched a, a clip where it was Scorsese and he had with them DiCaprio and Day-Lewis. Oh, yeah. And all of the way through, they're talking about gangs in New York. All of the way through, and I don't think Scorsese was doing it, it was just an interview. He kept referring to Leo and Bill. Bill. Oh, was this because he was playing... He was playing Bill the Butcher, Daniel yeah, uh, but it was yeah. it, and he would say, and I would say to Leo, I'd like you to do this, and then I would turn to Bill and say, he obviously had to treat Day-Lewis yeah, as I Bill Troy. I have not had to do that, I have to say. I'm very not... I, I think that's a... I think, for, like, there's no doubt about it, Daniel Day-Lewis is a superb actor, right? And that's his way of working, and therefore and it you works, respect yeah. it. Um, I, I don't like being around it hugely, because... Um, my kind of, like, I have a kind of deeply rationalist streak in me. <laughs> That's right. Part of me is going, well, if you really think you are the president of the United States and it's, you know, 18, whatever, you must find all these, like, arc lights around you really confusing. And how do you get home in the car and stuff? Um, but so uh, I, the actors that I've tended to, I've, some of the actors that I've worked with that I've have had the best sort of relationship with our actors who can access that level of, of kind of authenticity, but then just jump right out of it. So, and, and there are those actors who, and it's remarkable when you meet them where they, that work gets done, but it gets done sort of internally rather than you now must address me as Bill, you know, for the rest of the, the shoot. But I think, you know, again, if the work, I'll tell you the thing that I find tricky I really value a certain kind of um, lightness and sense of freedom in the work, right? So I really value um, the capacity to to respond to subtle kind of hints and things that occur while you're working, and 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 that feel, that lightness on on your feet feels really important to me. Like if you listen to a great improviser musically, they have that kind of freedom. And sometimes, if the approach is extremely um, like method. 
then there is this sense that if I don't feel it right now, I can't do it. In other words, there's a sort of, uh, there's a kind of uh, principle of of authenticity or something, which I think can be a little bit, makes things a little heavy. So uh, f- for me, then you have to, then you really are on your metal as a director, having to find ways to cajole, maneuver, cheat, whatever it is to get the thing that you need. Is it a lonely gig? I mean, it's lonely when you're not, when it's lovely when it's all going really well. I mean, the one thing I've always said about, about, about shooting in particular, because if you think about it, if you're a writer, you get to go back the next day and go, you know what, I didn't, that wasn't good, I'm going to rewrite it. Or if you're a painter, you can work until it's finished. In the shooting part, it's these, it's a sequence of days that you'll never get back. And the material you get is the material you'll get. Even if you've got reshoots or whatever planned, it's not the same. So um, there is that kind of stress. But the, the great thing about being a director, if you, if you if people believe in you, is that they'll do what you want, right? So the crew, you'll say, look, I know this is a bit odd, but I want to do it like this. And everybody goes, fine, let's do it. The terrible thing about being a director is they'll do it even if you're wrong. You know, even if <laughs> that's great if you're right. If you're wrong, you will all, you'll just walk straight into that wall and everybody will support you, you know. So that's the bit that's a bit lonely. I used to sort of say, if I was really stressed, the only option you have is to just go for a pee. You know, that's your only bit where you're allowed to go, listen, I'll be back in three minutes. And then you sort of sit there and have a little cry and then you go back and try and make it work. I love the idea that somewhere, somewhere, in some place, Lenny Abramson is crying in a portaloo. Oh, I'd say there've been many, many people have cried in many portaloos. <laughs> you are involved, as I said at the start, in the uh, Dublin International Film Festival. Is the Dublin International Film Festival significant? Is it important to the industry? Yeah, it is because I mean the great thing about. Dublin and DIFF generally is that it's a very audience-focused festival. So one of the big components that, you know, we were talking about, what does the industry need? Does it need these big successes or whatever? What it really needs is people going to the cinema. That's a huge, big part of what... Oh, is it streaming and that doesn't Uh, take up the slack? Well, it's not quite the same. I mean, I think because we all love the cinema, you know, and because there's something kind of very vital about that. Um, For filmmakers, they want their stuff to be seen in a theatre. So... Great thing about Diff is it gets people into the theatre. It's very youth-focused in that, it, I mean, it's for everybody, but it really makes an effort to sort of attract younger audiences to go to the cinema, audiences who have all the streaming services at home and may get out of the habit. And it also it also provides like 5% of tickets are free or subsidised so that people who might not otherwise be able to go can go. And all of those things, in terms of bringing an audience back to the to the cinema, particularly post-pandemic, it's very important, but also it's a brilliant um, kind of uh, forum for new f- Irish filmmakers to show their work. So there's lots of really good new Irish films that audiences will get to see in the cinema before anybody else. So those elements are very important to the to the city. It's bringing great people in like Steve McQueen, you know, 12 Years a Slave is coming and Guy Madden and uh, Isabel Hooper and all sorts of really interesting people. And... Um, uh, the other thing I think that's kind of worth t- talking about is that it allows you to see films that you may n- otherwise not get to see. Like there's a really interesting African season, which um, and the filmmakers are coming over. Some of the best new African cinema is going to be on in good screens in Dublin over the next few days. So, yeah, there's a load of stuff to be experienced and it just vitalizes the film kind of culture in the city. Go back, lastly, to that. You talked about you and Ed Guiney spending a lot of time when you were both 15 talking about um, film and cinema and uh, would you ever be able to get involved. 
Are you able now to enjoy it the way you did when you were 15 or do you always see the mechanics? If if a film is really good, I can enjoy it without any sort of... It's really interesting. I think the bar goes up, the bar raises a bit. Like if something's not working, I think, you know, I, I can then start to see the meetings that were had and I can see the conversations and I can see the mistakes or or see the tensions or the problems and I can see where something was cut because it didn't work or, you know, and then it's harder to suspend your disbelief. But if, if a film is really, really good, I, uh, I don't know, I, I find myself... In fact... Often I have to go back and rewatch a couple of times if I want to think about how it was done. What will happen is I'll watch it and I'll become kind of captivated again, and then I'll go off. I forgot to, I forgot to pay attention again. I just got caught up in it. So I still, I still really like films when they're great, but I think it's harder to. I don't know. Maybe you become a bit. You can be a bit cynical about stuff if you can see that it was made with a particular kind of, you know instrumental idea of who it was going to attract or if it's like, you know, looking for awards and you can feel, because I've been in the rooms where those conversations have been had or where you've had to push back or, you know, and you so you can see the decisions that were made and you, you sometimes go, oh, God, that's a pity. But generally, if something's really good, I still go, go all in. Lenny, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. That is Lenny Abramson. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.